I want to share something with you that happened during the recording of this episode, and then share some thoughts that I had about it afterwards. So we recorded this conversation live on the trade floor at IVEX 23. That is the International Conference of the Veterinary Emergency and Critical Care Society, or VEX, in Denver earlier this year. Now, if you've not been to IVEX, it's huge. I think they had like 5,000 attendees or something, maybe even more, something like up to 7,000 with all the exhibitors and speakers included. And the trade floor is like this huge party with hundreds and hundreds of stalls and the biggest nerds in the land of ECC all mingling and the CPR battles raging on in the background. Seriously, how good are live events? In fact, before I carry on with my story, the team at VEX, which is an organization that educates, informs, and supports people who are somewhere on the spectrum between slightly curious and totally obsessed with emergency and critical care. And they already have details in place for IVEX 24. I'll be there again with my recording equipment, and so should you. VEX members get a substantial discount for IVEX, which in itself makes it worth joining VEX for. Never mind the incredible list of resources that you get access to when you join, including access to the Journal of Veterinary Emergency and Critical Care, and my personal favorite bonus, free access to the Headspace Meditation app, but also a heap more. I have a code that will give VetVault listeners 35% off their VEX membership fees if you join before May next year, that's 2024, by going to VEX.org, that's V-E-C-C-S.org, clicking join today in the top right corner and using the code VETVOLT2023, that's capital V-E-T, capital V-A-U-L-T, 2023, a checkout on any online VEX membership. But back to my story. So I had this beautiful recording space set up at the VEX stall with my couch and two fluffy white guest chairs that looked like they were made from polar bear fur. And I had the incredible privilege of interviewing more than 20 of the world's best clinicians and specialists and coaches and business leaders, including Dr. Tanisha Crocker. As you'll hear in the recording, there's a lot of people coming and going and people watching us record. And then when I'm telling Tanisha about an old episode with Philip McKernan that is all about self-care and vulnerability, I find myself suddenly tearing up and getting this massive lump in my throat. Just this huge wave of emotion. I don't think you can actually hear it in my voice in the recording, what with all the background noise. But on the day, I'm sitting there, and I can see that Tunisia can see it. And in my head, I'm like, what the hell, Hubert? Pull it together, you weirdo. Luckily, the topic moves on, and the moment passes. But a couple of days later, I'm doing a long hike up Bear Mountain in Boulder, Colorado. So amazing. And I'm sort of replaying the interview in my head frame by frame and that inner critic pipes up. Yeah, nice work almost crying in front of your guest, you dickhead. Where did that even come from? But I'm learning to be curious about these things. So I think to myself, let's explore this. Why did I suddenly feel so emotional? And here's what I came up with. I recorded that episode with Philip McKernan that I was telling Tunisia about less than a month after my dad had passed away. It was in the midst of the pandemic, which of course had a bunch of really horrible repercussions for anyone living away from family, actually just for everyone. So it had been a tough time. And in the conversation with Philip, we talked a lot about parents and about being vulnerable and lots of stuff that was cutting pretty close to the bone for me. And I think what happened with the conversation with Tunisia, which by the way, in itself was very emotion laden, like it's a big conference and it's lots of fun, there's also lots of expectations and pressure on me. So I'm remembering the content of that Philip conversation 
and I'm talking to this lovely, warm, attentive person, and we're talking about something that just triggers something in me. So there I am having a great time, and then suddenly this wave of emotion just blindsides me, and my conscious mind doesn't even know why it's happening. So why am I telling you this? The first reason is that I know that most of you are harsh with yourselves. Hands up if this is how your inner voice speaks to you. You idiot. You're so stupid. You're such a fill in the blank. You really stuffed that one up. And I think that that approach of curiosity and having a conversation with that inner voice can be the pattern interrupt that can help break that habit. So when that critic pipes up, you can say to it, hey, wait, is what you're saying entirely true? Can we look at what I did that you think is so stupid? And look at why did I make that mistake? Which I think goes a long way towards more self-kindness and personal growth. And then the other reason I want to tell the story is it highlights the importance of being aware of your own emotional tone and what might be behind that and how it's influencing your behavior. Because we think that we're so rational and so in control. But the reality is that there are so many little things happening in the background that pull our strings and push our buttons. And this obviously holds true for the people we interact with, like our clients and our coworkers, or even just your kids, right? I'll give you another example to show you what I mean. I lost it a bit with a client recently, which is uncharacteristic for me. I wrote about it in my newsletter, so if you want the full story, click the link in the show description to the newsletter so you can feel better about yourself. But in retrospect, I think I know why I lost it. I'd been dealing with some pretty heavy emotional stuff that week that was weighing on me. And then a few other things happened on that shift that put me in the wrong state of mind. Plus, it was just late and I was tired and a little bit hungry. So a situation that I could usually deal with easily just went the wrong way. So what am I taking away from all of this for myself? First, the need to keep practicing self-awareness. If on that shift the other night I was aware enough to recognize my state of mind, I could have maybe done a quick reset before engaging with that client. Second, curiosity. Curiosity about what's happening for you. Hey, I've noticed that I'm feeling really cranky or emotional or negative. Is there a reason for that? Am I just hungry? Or did I have too much coffee? Probably. Oh yeah, there's that thing that's happening that I'm dealing with and I should keep that in mind. Now, I'm personally a big fan of leaving your shit at the door and going into work mode when I'm at work. But sometimes it's just not that easy. And I think what would have helped is if I was honest and a bit more vulnerable with my coworkers. Like, hey, I've got some stuff going on that's affecting my background emotional tone. So if I'm not myself, here's why. And maybe I'm not in the right headspace to take on this situation tonight. Or come with me so you can watch that I don't say anything stupid. And yes, I could do with a hug. And then finally, patience and compassion with others because this sort of stuff is going on for everyone all the time and with ourselves. Not making excuses, just toning down those voices a little bit. Okay, speaking of patience and compassion and vulnerability, I think those are great words to describe our guest for this episode. Also, driven, influential, and as you'll hear, healthily confident. I'm thrilled to bring you this recording of my in-person chat with Dr. Tanisha Crocker, or as most people know her, just Dr. Crocker. Tanisha uses her role as speaker and social media personality to support her fellow veterinary professionals. She started her career as an ambulatory equine vet, shifted to life as a smallest practitioner, and these days she works as an ER veterinarian for Veterinary Emergency Group in Dallas, Texas, and also owns and runs her own veterinary clinic, 
Alta Vista Animal Hospital in Fort Worth, Texas. You can follow her veterinary journey at at Dr. Tanija Crocker. That's at dr.tanntje dot c-r-o-c-k-e-r on the socials or on www.drcrockerpetvet.com. That's Dr. Just Dr. Now I'll start with the confession. I was a little bit worried when I booked this interview. I only knew Tunisia as Dr. Crocker, the vet with a massive social media profile. And my concern was that she might be a bit of a diva or a bit self-important, like, you're so lucky that I'm here talking to you. Tunisia, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Luckily, I was very, very wrong. She's as warm and funny and kind and authentic in person as she seems on all of her content, as you'll hear in this conversation. But it's not just all warm fuzzies. She's also driven and dynamic with a genuine desire to make a change for others and to create the life that she envisages for herself and for her family. Which is, of course, what we're all about at The Vet Vault. So I'm excited to share this conversation with you where we cover why she does all the things that she does. The turning point that made her decide to be more intentional in her career. The biggest mistake, in her opinion, that most vets make when they plan their career path innate ability versus learned skills, why she works in ECC, who it's for and who it's not for, her most viral social media post yet, trauma and vulnerability, and so much more. Please enjoy Dr. Tunisia Crocker. Hi. What a privilege, what an honor. I am so excited to actually do this in person. I know. I don't get to do too many of these. And it's so nice that I got to meet you yesterday or during the course of the week at, where are we? We are in Colorado at IVEX and we are learning about all things ER, ECC and hanging out and networking a ton. There's so many events. It's a really fun conference. And when you said you were coming to the States, I was very excited to meet you in person because I... Love the podcast and I love everything you guys are doing. So Thank you so much. I'm absolutely honored and, and vice versa. I love watching your stuff. Thank you. I, I feel like I, if you could invest in social media personalities at like a startup investment, I think I would have done well because I saw your stuff early on and I was like, I think she's got to, I think people will like what she's doing. I appreciate that. And, um, and it has certainly been the, the way, like you've, it's blown up. Why do you think people resonate with your stuff? Have you ever thought about it? I think I have just because I've been asked about it a couple of times and there's a couple of factors. One would probably be I'm older and I actually can speak to a lot of different things. I've done a lot of things with my career and when I talk about things, you know, I have the experience to really talk mm. about it and share. And I think that social media is very relational and so I am a networker. I love talking to people. I love hearing their stories. I love sharing stories. And so in that way, people can connect and say Thank you for sharing. I had that same experience or, you know, I had a hard day too. Mm. Like that really resonates with me. Um, I really don't plan things out. A lot of people do. You know, I'm going to post about this on this day. Yeah, you're supposed to. I, I did all right. the, the marketing courses and they talk about That's busy month's say. content plan. and yeah, yeah. yeah. But mine is more honestly like what was my experience? What am I going through? You know, I might have visited a school. Like what were the students really wanting to know about? And it's really what I'm doing in life. And I think that people find that easier to like fall into because they're experiencing the same things. So I usually start my podcasts with a question. I saw it as a graffiti on the side of the road once that said, bad decisions lead to good stories, which made me, obviously immediately made me think about, was that true? Do I have examples of yeah. that? So I thought, good question. What do you think? Is it true? And if you do, 
Do you have examples that, that could work? I wouldn't say bad decisions lead to good stories. My personality, I don't really make decisions and maybe go a different path and then look back and say like, oh, I shouldn't have made that decision. I really feel like everything I do is really intentional and whether it worked out in the long run or not, it still led me to where I am today and where I am, I'm really happy with and I still love veterinary medicine and I love this industry and the people in it. So I don't feel like they've been bad decisions. I've definitely made decisions that a lot of other people said, what are you doing? Why would you do that? Why would you leave that safe thing that you're doing and try something different? Why would you put yourself out there? And I feel like those things have always paid off exponentially. So for me, it would be more doing things that scare you lead to good opportunities in good places, but not really bad decisions. So have you always been like that? If you say your decisions have always been considered, like, do you, are you a planner? Are you a, do you assess where I am and go, well, yeah, how do you make those decisions that they are such considered wise decisions? I am very intentional. So everything I do, I am thinking, what is the end goal in life? What do I really want to do? Where do I want to be in five, 10 years? And we talk a lot about that, me and my husband. I am a planner when it comes to family, kids, life, because I have so many balls in there and I have to be really planned out far in advance with my schedule. But I always have this small part of me that is open to opportunity and open to doors that I never maybe thought were there. And so I think part of it is I grew up and I went to seven different schools growing up. We lived in four states. I had to be really adaptable. I had to, you know, enter new situations where people knew each other forever growing up and had to kind of recreate myself over and over and find people that I connected with. So that ability to adapt and to change has helped me in the industry where maybe something worked great for me for two years and then I get an opportunity that I never thought was really something I'd be interested in, but I will always flush that out and I won't just disregard it because I've had the coolest experiences from actually jumping in and doing something that I never thought I would do. Did I answer the question? I feel yeah, like I yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's so many ways I could go with that. The intentionality is a, is a big thing. Yes. Has that always been the case or is it something you've learned over time? I think it's definitely been more learned, but I did learn it at a pretty young age. Okay. Just the fact that I had a dad that really modeled hustling, working hard. What did your dad do? He worked for, he had a CPA background, so accounting, but he worked for a large hospital system and he basically bought and sold hospitals. Wow. So I remember like him being in his car with like some of the first bag phones and like working out big deals and like literally saying like, no, you know, 20 million's not good enough. No. You know, interesting thing to watch. And then he was really traveled a lot. He just, he did a lot. And he always told me like, if you do what you love, it'll be really beneficial. But also as he got farther in his career, he also told me chasing the next thing, always wanting the next promotion is maybe not the best way because we move so much and because we had so much, you yeah. know, disruption from yeah. that. So I think seeing that, I kind of learned what is my thought process in life? Where do I want to be as a mother, as a partner, as a veterinarian? And like, how can that all come together and work well together and not be one over the other? And so that's where I got more intentional about my decisions and really making this career be what I wanted it to be and not what everyone else said it had to be. And that was one of the, the big turning points was I don't have to do what everyone else is doing. I can make my own path. And I think that's really important. 
Love that. That, that, was, that took me a while to figure out. I was very much the victim mentality of, well, now I'm in this career and I don't actually like it. Yeah. And I'm going to be sour about it for the rest of my life, but I'm stuck. Yeah. And then at some point going, hang on, I, I don't have to, you know, I have to stay in this job. I can move to the next job. I don't have to stay in this type of career that I, you can be intentional. But it, it takes... It takes a bit of time and effort and mental energy to be intentional. Very easy to just be in the current and drift along and let the current take you versus, well, I've got to get a canoe and start paddling in a direction. Yeah. Quick interruption to share some great news about our clinical podcasts. We finally, finally got the nod to say that our content is good enough to be race approved. We sent off a test batch of the ECC podcast contents to see if you could get a podcast race approved, and we did it. Which means that if you listen to those approved podcasts and then do the little attached quiz, that you can get full accredited assessed CPD points for it. 18.5 hours to be exact for this first application. And now that the concept is proven, we'll start working on the other hundreds of hours of content that we have. So watch the space for a lot of really good, really accessible, and really affordable CE points. But of course, our podcasts are not about the points. They're about being better at your job, caring better, about confidence and competence, and about your mojo. Come and rediscover it with us at vvn.supercast.com. Did you have a moment? I know you talked about burning out, but was there like one thing that was the big light bulb moment of, wait, I can make a change or was it a very small progression to that? I can remember a moment of, I think what led to it was frustration, chronic long-term frustration and dissatisfaction. Right. And then going, no, enough. I've got to do something about this. And probably the, the moment of decision was actually on a, as I've, I've talked about it before, I'm a, I'm a very keen surfer. And I went on a, on a big surf trip <laughs> when my second child was like three weeks old. It's a long story. I, I got away with that. Uh, <laughs> with a bunch of friends, with my brother-in-law and a bunch of friends to Indonesia, to this magical island. And it was such a happy time, such a carefree time. And work was pretty tough at the time. I was not happy at my current job. Overworked and I wouldn't say burnt out, but you know, the yeah. standard, standard stuff. And it's ten, 10 odd years into career as well. Where you, it's, it's time to, for a change. Yeah. Time for a change. And to get to the surf breaks, you had to drive these little scooters. You had to surfboard on the side and it's tropical and it's gloriously green and it's so different out of your norm. It's really my happy place, riding along on a, on a scooter on a, a tropical island to a surf break or after a surf when you're full of endorphins and sunshine. Sounds amazing. And I, I remember driving, riding along going, I want to feel like this more. I want this more, I want. And it was literally on the plane home going, okay, how am I going to make this happen? Yeah. And literally going, okay, well, I work too many hours, so I can't. I need to be more flexible with my holidays. And it, it's, it was kids as well. I wanted to start spending. And so that was a decision to say, well, I've got to change. So, that, so that's how I started the emergency clinic because I was like, well, if I do that, then I could be at home during the day with my kids. Right. So it was intentional. It was like, what do I want? Taking that moment of what do I want? I have a diary that I wrote down around that time. If not this, then what the F? What? Yeah. I wrote it down in big letters. I was so frustrated. Then what do I want? Yeah. And then going working backwards, well, how do I make it happen? I love no, that. I'm not there yet. No, well, <laughs> and that's the thing, right? Like, you know the feeling you want, and then, you know, flexibility was important. Your family was yeah. important, like those things. And that's what I've basically done, too, is said, how can I do the things I want to do and still 
be present with my family and, and that has led me to kind of all the hats that I wear, but it gives me a lot of flexibility in life, what I have set up so far. And I kind of had my one moment. I've shared it. I actually haven't ever shared it on like a podcast. I shared it with a group of students one time and I actually couldn't get through the story because I started being really emotional, which is not me. But my one moment was I was an equine veterinarian and I was working 80 hour weeks. My baby was nine weeks old, 10 weeks old, and my husband was traveling a lot. So I was on call 50% of the time and I got a call at like 2 a.m. So I had to wake up my baby, put her in the car seat, go to the call. And what I used to do is I would have my client call my phone. It was hot, like it was Texas, so it's hot. So I'd have the car running with the AC. My client would call my phone, my phone would be in the car with the baby so I could hear if she started crying or something happened. And I'm in the middle of tubing this horse, you know, and I'm hormonal and there's things, and my baby starts crying. And I'm too, like actively tubing the horse. I can't put it down, I can't stop. Like this is a really sick horse, the client's there. But the physiology, my body saying like, go to my baby. Yeah. But my brain saying like, you're doing a job right now. Like you need to be a good vet. Like it almost broke me in that moment. And I still get like emotional I'm when I think about it. It was, and it's a weird sensation. And I think if you don't have children, it's a little hard to understand, but it was a really like torn apart yeah. moment for me. And I finished a job. I took care of my child. I did what I needed to do. But mentally, I was like, I never want to feel like this again. Isn't that the perfect metaphor, though? That so many professional women, and that's our profession is yes. like 80, 90% professional women, go through. Yes. That's such a vivid, real moment, but it's a metaphorically happens all day, every day. It does. I have this job to do. I have this other thing pulling, pulling me. Yes, and it is one of the reasons why I'm a, a big advocate of changing your job as your life stage changes. The idea that we used to have of, I'm going to be a small animal GP practitioner. I'm going to find a hospital that I love and that's where I'm going to work. And maybe one day I'll own it. Maybe one day I'll retire. But like it's linear. I just hate that. I really and truly think that it is a disservice to our industry for people to feel that way because they feel stuck eventually because your life stage changes. And maybe you have multiple children, maybe your partner or you don't have a partner, you don't have a support system. Maybe you have a child with special needs that requires more flexibility. Maybe financially, like you need to work for your family, but you can't afford daycare for your children. And so it changes what you need as your life changes. Maybe even it's an aging parent. Like I use the parent thing a lot, but maybe you have somebody in your life that you need to be more available for. And so the idea of, well, this is a job I started and this is what the goal always was. So I have to make this work. It's such a disservice to ourselves and all the possibilities that you can do with the degree in general. Yeah, absolutely. I, you I asked have... me what my soapbox was. I feel like we might have found, no, <laughs> part of it. Absolutely, though. It's not having the blinkers on and not being in the rut. Right. And it's tricky because the rut's comfortable and you don't know what's outside the rut, so it's a bit scary, but you don't know until you get out and, and have a look. Yeah, I mean, the saying of, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And I'm like, it isn't always, like there's no perfect place, but maybe it's a little bit better, right? And like a little bit better is still better. You won't ever find perfect, but I truly believe there's a place in this industry for everybody if you really put out there what you want and you're open to opportunity, I think you can find it. 
Yeah, you, you do. You talk about the many hats you wear and all these things you, you do. Why do so many things? Do you do too many things? I, so I have had times where it's come and gone, like how much I've been doing. I think it looks like a lot because I share on social media and I'm traveling and I'm, you know, at the ER and I'm at my GP, but I really have structured all of it where I have boundaries. Again, I plan really far in advance and I can be available for vacations with my family, for my kid's birthday. I've really set up a team. So just for people who don't know, all the hats are, I do social media, obviously, um, and then I travel and I speak at conferences. I go to veterinary schools and I speak. I also do a little bit of recruiting. I work for Veterinary Emergency Group. I work in their ER in Dallas, so I'm an emergency veterinarian. That is my in-hospital job I love. And then I own my own practice. So I'm a private practitioner and it's a small business owner. So those are kind of all the hats I wear. Plus I'm a mom and a partner. But I, I really have structured everything where at my hospital, I have a group of people that are amazing and they are there. And when I'm not there, I feel very comfortable with how that hospital is being run. With my job with Veteran Emergency Group, I've structured it where I really get to do the things I love. And then I leave and I don't have to think about anything else with that hospital. And then social media is what I want it to be. I own it. It's my brand. It's my business. And I can really do as much or as little as I want to do with it. I've been here at this conference and, you know, I've taken some pictures and done some things, but I've mainly just been talking to people and I don't feel pressure to post you don't. six times a day. You don't feel pressure to, I don't. you don't feel like you've created the, the monster beast. that you have to keep feeding. I think when you start out, you feel that you're like to grow and honestly to grow, I need to post a lot. I need to be really consistent. When you reach a certain point, you can kind of sit back and say, like, what do I really want to talk about? What's important? And you find out what your audience really likes too. And I've found that I don't have to post three times a day and I can share things that I think are really valuable. And sometimes I'm available, sometimes I'm not. But when I have opportunities like this to talk to people in person, this is more valuable to me right now than posting. And I'm okay if I'm not growing rapidly while I'm here because I think the in-person stuff the social media is so I can network, I can connect. Like, I feel like I know you guys through social media and your podcast. And if I wasn't engaged in any of that, like who knows if I would be sitting here, right? So it's not the only thing. Yeah. And I think that's important to recognize. Okay, so you tell me what you do. You still haven't told me why you do so many. Because again, for most people, I chuckled when you, you listed it and then you read, and I own a practice. For most people, owning a practice, that's, that's more it. than enough. Right. That keeps them busy and stressed out more than enough. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you're obviously a phenomenal planner to pull it all off and still be, as you say, still have time for your kids and that. So the next thing you should do is teach practice ownership. <laughs> <laughs> well, but why I, do you do so much? So I think ultimately my goal just for the profession is I really like to support people, help people, and then also bring the public into who we are as veterinarians and create understanding around what we do, why we do it. So that's kind of why I do a lot of the social media and a lot of the travel and things like that. For the practice, it is a community project. I have always wanted to be a practice owner. I think I, some people just have an owner personality and I'm one of those. And when I had the opportunity to buy the practice that's been in our hometown for 35 years, I decided that was something I had to do for the pets in our community and for the people in our community. So. I think that each of my things is has a different reason I do it. I honestly love 
all of the things that I'm doing right now. They all have their challenges, but I also get bored if I'm not trying different things and pushing myself. And I never want to be bored and just safe. Like my personality is let's do something for this industry and let's challenge ourselves in the process. So it's a, it's a love driven thing. The stuff you do, you do because you love it. It's yes. not a, not that you're super driven to be super successful or anything like that. It's just, I, I mean, you, I mean, you are driven it. obviously, I, right? I don't want, I don't want to lie and say like, I enjoy making money. I, I don't yeah. think there's anything wrong with that, right? Like I enjoy saving pets in the ER. I like love it when I do a really huge surgery and do something really impactful for an owner. And I do like the feeling of I'm good at what I do. And I do get that from doing the different things and engaging with people. So I don't want to act like I'm entirely selfish in yeah. it. And I think it's okay to say but those I, things, I, right? I, I suppose that I sometimes meet people where I get the feeling they do a lot because they being pushed or being driven by a like a negative driver. Ah. Maybe a, I'm not good enough or I'm not rich enough or I need to show everybody how yes. incredible I am or I want to be incredibly rich or because yes. I feel like you are pulled along in directions by yeah, the things I, you want to do. I probably am overconfident and comfortable in my abilities. Like I don't I don't need a lot of validation from other so people. So where does that come from? Because that that's <laughs> for humans in general, very unusual. Most yeah. of us do not feel that. Overconfident is not a word I've heard in the vet profession very often. So you don't get the imposter thing. No, I, I do occasionally. Like when I started speaking and things like that, like I still do this. I, I would take a picture of the room and send it to my husband and be like, people actually showed up to hear me talk. Yeah. And so it like, would anybody want to hear what I have to say? But yeah. I, I felt like I would do a good job speaking. I never really felt like that was something I couldn't do, right? And I think it comes from, one, having my dad be someone who is very confident and very driven. I'm the oldest child, so naturally, like, I want to succeed. I believe in myself. And I also am an Enneagram 3. I don't know if you look into Enneagram things, but, like, as a personality type, like, I am confident, a leader, driven, and that's okay, just something, Okay, so it's, like, it's an innate and natural... Yeah. I mean, I've always been in leadership positions, anything I've done. I've always been someone that likes to talk to people and connect and has no problem with confrontation, has no problem with encouragement and trying to work with people to do something big. Okay, so somebody watching that going, wow, that's so not me, but I want to be more like her. Can you develop that? Is it, is it something that, I know it, it gets better with, like anything gets better with practice, but how do you start? Can anyone develop that? Um, yes. I think though the important thing is you shouldn't want to be me. I shouldn't want to be you. You might say, I really like the fact that she is able to make a change. How can I do that? What are the tools that I can do, develop to network, to meet people, to put out there like what I believe in? Um, you might say, I don't really want to speak, but I have things that are really important to me. So maybe instead you share your voice and the things you're passionate about by writing or by, you know, there's other ways to do that. So I don't think that you have to necessarily say, I want to do what Crocker's doing, but I do think if you say, I really think this is a skill I want to develop, there's a million opportunities out there. So you can develop those skills. Yeah. I will say it's easier for someone like me that just innately, it comes to me a little more naturally, I think. And I maybe, I feel like I would probably feel like really big headed saying these things. No, not at all. So it's a, it's a feel, personality type, but it's a blessing. Now I feel um, vulnerable and I feel imposter syndrome right now in this moment. It's not always looked positively on 
to be a woman and be like confident. I, I think it's such and an incredible like, role model. And to does that make add, sense? Yeah, I get it. It's great that you're a role model like that to go, look, you're, you have permission to be confident. Back yourself. You okay. Because, and we talked about it last night about the difference between America and Australia. Yes. Australia, and I think it comes from the British heritage as well, that self-deprecating way of being is the norm. Yes. Have you heard of the tall puppy syndrome? I have not. So Australia's got a thing called the tall puppy syndrome. If there's a field of flowers of puppies, and they're all the same height, if there's one that stands out, that's the first one that'll be chucked down. And we have that thing a little bit. So that's what you're not supposed to say, oh yeah, I'm confident. I like what I do. I like who I am. Yeah. Um, but I love that you do it. And I, I'm people who listen should go, yeah, all right. Well, I have cool things. There's cool stuff about me um, and be confident in it. I mean, there's something about everyone that is unique and that would allow them to excel yeah. in this industry in some way, shape or form. And it doesn't have to be the things I'm doing, but I do think there's a place for anybody who believes in who they are, what they have to say, and they want to contribute in some way, there's something out there for yeah. them, for sure. So I was going to ask you about, because you've made a lot of changes in your career. Yes. <laughs> and, and I suppose my line of questioning was going to be about fear, the fear associated with change. But I feel like from what we just talked about, maybe that's not a massive thing for you. So instead of looking at it as, you know, I'm scared to try this, the conversation I often have with my husband when we're talking about opportunity is, would you regret it if you didn't do it? And that has served me really well to say, okay, if I didn't buy this practice, would I always drive by it and say, I really wish I owned that. I really want to own that. And the same thing with going to veg. I actually was very pro-private practice, like not really ever interested in, in a job with a larger company. But then I really enjoyed their open concept. I loved the emergency room and being able to cut. Because you were doing employed GP Smalley's work before yeah. you so made the shift. All the jobs I've had, right? I was an equine intern. I did equine ambulatory for several years. I did small animal relief in the ER and GP. Then I did full-time GP and did ER relief on the side. And then now I do emergency veterinary work and I own a practice. So those are kind of all the things I've tried. And I was at a small animal GP that was great. I had a wonderful schedule. I got paid really, really well. I was with a group of people that I loved working with and had a clientele that basically said, whatever you need to do. So it was a really great job. And I encourage people to have that type of practice and work there just for my personality of wanting to own a practice. Long-term, it wasn't going to work. So when I had other, another opportunity that fit where I was in my career, I decided to try it. And so the drive to do veg was what? Because you sound like you had a great job. Why made the jump then? It actually came about uh, very naturally. I was doing some writing and I wrote an article. I was writing one about the open concept emergency room because it was a newer idea then. This was about three years ago. And so there was a veg that had just opened in Fort Worth right down the road. And so I said, can I visit? And I actually knew the doctor that worked there. And so he let me come on shift and I spent several hours there and very quickly loved the model, loved the concept. Coming from equine medicine where you're with the horse owners, you do everything, it's very transparent, thinking on your toes, what to do. I already loved emergency and I loved surgery, so I loved that their doctors got to cut. I really valued that a lot. So I told them how much I liked it, but I still didn't have any desire to change. And then, I mean, it was conversations for eight months after that 
would there be something that I would want? And eventually we came to an agreement and it's been two years now and I really still enjoy it a lot. I don't think it's for everyone. I'm really open about that. It's for certain people, certain personalities. After hours, emergency work or specifically veg? Both. Both. I mean, ER is tough. Yeah. ER is very tough. No matter how good you are at it, no matter how good you communicate, you will not make everyone happy and you will not save every pet patient and you are going to have more losses than wins on some shifts. So it takes a certain person to even want to do emergency in that way. But working in the open concept, you also have to be okay with that. And the transparency, the way that the doctors talk to team members is very different. You're not allowed to talk down to team members. You know, they are very collaborative with us. Like I say, this is my plan for this pet, for the anesthesia. And I will have, you know, a technician say, you know, based on how this animal is, I really think we should consider this instead. And there's just a lot more collaboration. And some vets are great with that and some are not. And so you don't just hire people that are good at ER, you have to hire certain people that really want to be a part of that type of culture and atmosphere. And I think it's a little harder to find sometimes. Yeah. And that's why I'm open about the experience and what I like about it and why it works for me. But I also tell people like, it doesn't work for everyone and that's okay. I just want people to know that it is an option. Yeah. We talked a little bit last night about you are to the outside world, Dr. Crocker, the veterinarian. Right. But then people often talk about once one shouldn't identify too strongly with who you are career-wise. Do you struggle with that as well? Is it at all? Is it something that you consider? Like, is there, do you become mom completely, like your identity, your identity at least to me is really tightly tied to your profession and all the stuff you do is vet-related when it's sort of becoming me as well, which was never my plan. Yes. Is it something you think about at all? It is something I think about because I do think you hear people say you should not really make this don't define yourself by your life, right? And like everyone talks about like work-life balance and and I am a big believer in like work-life integration. I think if you really truly like what you're doing and you really believe in what you're doing and, and you think you're good at it, then it's a part of your life no matter what. And I don't, personally think there's anything wrong with that. I think everyone has different work speeds and different ability to set boundaries. I am probably abnormal in the fact that I invite people to ask me questions because I want to help people and I want to help pet owners and I want to talk about what we do and why it's so valuable. And I think that there's been a misstep in our profession in general. The fact that we're like, we're only vets at the hospital and then we you know, want to disconnect and not do anything else. And the public perception of us has changed dramatically because I think we're unwilling to share who we are as people in general and we want it to be so separate. And so I embrace the fact that I am Dr. Crocker, I'm also a mom and I share about all those things, but I don't have like a, from nine to five, I'm a vet and I never wanna talk about it or think about it again because that's unrealistic for me. I love what I do. I love the hospital I own. I'm constantly thinking about how I can make things better for the team, better for the pet owners. And I'm still healthy working in that way. I think the big thing is if you can't do that and if you need stronger boundaries. For a lot of people, that sounds like a nightmare if they have to Dr. X all day long. Right, which is fine. I love it. And I just like I like talking to you about things in the industry. Like this is what I really enjoy doing. And I really think the more conversations we have and the more action we have around things that are going on in our industry, the better it will be. So if everyone just said, I just want to show up to work and I don't ever want to engage in veterinary medicine outside of it, 
nothing is ever going to change in our profession. So my belief is I love what I do. I've been doing it 14 years, so I have a lot of experience to say, guess what? You don't have to create this career, but you do have to be intentional with your choices or else you might end up hating it and not want to own the fact that you're a veterinarian. Yeah, I've, I've had a shift in myself over the last, since starting the podcast, really. I think I was much more of a, my uni at my vet school, there was a culture of we go to class and we study and we have exams and it takes up most of our headspace and time. Right. So when we are not doing that, if we're hanging out together, it was like an unspoken rule. Don't. Don't talk about don't it. Don't talk with. Yeah. Which was healthy, I think. But then that carries on into career. And I had very strong boundaries. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm working, I'm working. It's my job and it's my income. But when I'm not working, and I'm married to a vet as well. Oh, okay. but, the, but the rule was yeah, no work nothing. talk. Yeah. And talk about work. And, you know, I had those boundaries. And it was healthy to a point, but to some degree also, maybe I was a bit too hard on those boundaries. It was maybe to my own career detriment and enjoyment of the career because I didn't allow myself space to grow within the profession and to learn to love the profession. Right. I think it was, it was an attitude of it's work, it kind of sucks, but I do it. Right. And now in the last 10 years or five years, by default getting more and more involved going, no, it doesn't actually suck. It's actually really quite special and I can love it. And just because I love it doesn't, have to, doesn't mean I have to be attached to it, it all the time. Be, it doesn't right. have to be a... It doesn't have to be your entire... I can st you can take it away. Yes. You can take it away. Well, here's, that's a question for you. Let's take away doctor from Dr. Crocker. Yes. What's left? Let's say, let's say something happens and for some reason tomorrow you can no longer be a vet. Right. We talk about vet stuff. You're a mom, obviously. That's a big deal. I still think I would be a big proponent of finding your place in wherever you work or your industry. And I would probably be very relational and mentoring and things like that still because that's something I really care about and I think is important. I actually had a, one of my old bosses say to me one time, a lot of people in this profession want to like build the hospital around themselves or they want to be like the vet, right? And he said, you never want to do that because you can always find another vet to take your place. There's always like that other doctor. There's not another mom. There's not another partner for your family. So those are the jobs that are the most important. So that has always stayed at the, the front of my mind. Despite everything people see on social media, and I try to share about my family and the other things that are important to me, but despite it being mainly veterinary medicine, it is not my entire identity. And I really think I would be okay without it. Yeah. Knowing what it is, I would miss it. Just like I really miss being an equine practitioner. And that was my identity. That was the reason I became a vet. And that was a process to say, I'm not an equine vet anymore. Like, who am I? But I think that I've found other things that I really enjoy and are important to me. So I don't know exactly what I would be doing. I do have people say that, like, what else would you do? And I don't know what other job I would do, but I would be an entrepreneur and I'd probably still be doing five different things and living my best life with my family and traveling and talking to people. I mean, I really just enjoy getting to know people. I have a feeling you'd be okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I might make it. Think of something else. I might make it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Podcasting. So you've got the podcast as well now. Question time with, it's question time with... Questions with Crocker. Right. Questions with Crocker. Right. Yes. First of all, why the podcast? It's because you inspired me. <laughs> no, I really... The main reason was I get a lot of questions on social media and you can't answer them yep. in 15 seconds, gotcha. even a minute video. Like you can't go into depth about things that you really care about and really answer questions in that format. And so I just decided like, let's do a podcast. My husband is 
really funny and he's very dry. And so we do it together and it's nice to have the perspective of like a non-pet person when we talk about certain things. And it's not medical, it's more about life, about practice ownership, about you know emergency veterinary work. And so I think it's just been a good way for me to say, when people say, what should I do to become a practice owner or how should I do this? I can say, hey, we did a podcast episode on that. Gotcha. You should check it out. And it's just another resource for people. Um, and I like to be creative. Like, I don't know about you, but I love content and creation. It's, it's weird. I, people criticize you. You were looking at what I was doing yesterday yeah. and say, well, why are you doing this yourself? You should outsource. And I do try and outsource. And I know I should outsource more. <laughs> but I still get a kick out of making it. Yes. There's such a kick out of saying, it's finished. The music's in there. It's done. Yes. It's the creative, which we don't actually get to do much in no. clinical vet work, right? No. There's not a lot of space for creativity. Yeah, and I think it flexes that other, you know, side of your brain that's really important. And I just enjoy being able to interact and being able to be a support system and help people. And if I get one message each, each podcast episode of someone saying like, I listened, it was really funny, or I really enjoyed it, then I'm like, job done. So have you had a standout popular episode? Have you had one that resonated really strongly with the audience? I would say the open concept ER one is a really popular oh, really? one. Yes. Because that's a, it's a question I get asked about so much. So I'm like, let's just do a podcast about it. So I kind of answer the most frequently asked things about the open concept ER. And then the one where we just talk about practice ownership and why we decided to buy a practice is also a really popular one. Okay. There's a lot of people that want to do that and they just don't know how to start at all. It's the fear we talked about it earlier. Is. I'm not like you in that regard. I, you go, would I regret it if I, and I get that. I, I, that's how I get over not doing things. But my right. first response is, yeah, but what if, what if I mess it up? What Something if I lose all my money? What if, what if nobody comes? Yes. What if it's too busy and I don't have time for my kids? And I think that's most people. Yeah. I think you're an anomaly. That's probably true. I think because um, I've made so many changes in my career, I don't play the what if game because I know if it's not working, then I just pivot and I make a change again. So that, because I am adaptable and able to make change, that's not ever a question I really ask. And I encourage people to think, would I regret this if I didn't try it? Yeah, that's one strategy. And what I'm doing more and more is, I think it's Tim Ferriss on his podcast. I think I was doing it beforehand, but he put a name to it. It's called Fear Setting. What if all those what ifs happen and then what's going to happen? What's the worst thing that can happen? Here? Right. And I do that with work as well. So what if I stuff it up and I get taken to the board and they find me guilty and they take away my license? Hey, how likely is that worst case scenario? Very unlikely. Very unlikely. Very unlikely. <laughs> and, be, and then what? Am I going to be dead? No. No. Well, I still have everything else. So it makes it a lot easier to go, well, if the catastrophe actually happens, is it insurmountable? Right. What if I lose all my money? Well, then you make some more money. And I think that's a good process. We, we did that with the hospital a little bit. I had some like fear at the very end of like, okay, are we really doing this and buying a hospital? And my husband said, what's the worst thing that would happen? And we played out the, okay, what if everyone leaves? What if no one wants to come see us? What if this happens? And eventually we got to, we still own a building on a really valuable piece of land and we would be okay. And it wouldn't break us financially or our relationship. And so we decided to try it. So there is a time for the what if. I just think if you live in that space constantly, it's immobilizing if you can't work through it. Okay, I asked you about your, your most popular podcasts. What about, what about social media? Have you had posts that went completely nuts? Yes. Yeah? 
<laughs> I have. You've got lots of go nuts, but are there standout ones that, that you... It's interesting because it's hard to predict. Like anyone that does social media will yeah. tell you, like I'll create something and say like, this is going to be the post. Yeah. Like this is, and it, literally it'll be the smallest it's, amount it's of It's the views. same with the podcast. Yeah. Like I'm doing this thinking, well, she's huge, but it's going to be a very popular, yeah. maybe like two maybe people no are going to listen. listen. <laughs> yeah. I'm really sorry if that's the case, by the way. But I do think that the ones that are the most valuable for me are when I am vulnerable and I share something that happened. I had one thing and I was going to tell the story and it's the most traumatic thing I've experienced in veterinary medicine and I still can't talk about it and I'm actually like seeking help to work through it because of like the PTSD that I have from the experience. I think I know the post. Yes. So I was going to talk about that and then just like trying to talk about it. I was trying to work up like how do I start this? How do I? And I was videoing myself the whole time and then I just like broke down and I ended up editing it down where you kind of saw me like feel the feelings. Like the one we down. start in the bathroom. Yes. Yeah, yeah it's not glamorous. It's I, not. I looked at it going, like, that's look, a very brave pose. I look very old very, and I look very tired. <laughs> I didn't mean that in that way. No, but no, it, it's but true. But it's not. When a social media is normally, oh, look how amazing I am. Yeah. And that was pretty raw. People are going to ask me what happened and I know that and that's happened a lot and I've just said I'm not ready to talk about it and I don't know if I ever will be, but... I do think putting it out there, the amount of messages I got and the amount of even pet owners saying, we appreciate you as veterinarians. Thank you for all you do. Like you are valued. Like that's wonderful to read from our perspective. Like, but also veterinary team members saying, I don't even know what happened, but I've been there and I'm like there with you. And that is also really, really powerful. So I put stuff out like that, that I know will start a conversation and will start supporting the community that I think is important. And then sometimes, like right now, I have a viral post that I'm pulling a sock out of a dog's booty that he ate. And that one, like, just oh, that's always off. good. That's always good that's entertainment. Good TV. That was, I could yeah. have told you that would be it. <laughs> so it's very dependent. But I think that everyone finds their own voice on social media. Like, I really encourage people not to look at my accounts and say, like, oh, I'm going to do what she does. And you said when I asked you the other day, your audience, it's, a, it's about for half half vets versus public yes. as well. Yeah. So I'm curious to know what resonates with our profession, with the people who are... On social media, I think you make a decision. Like, how negative are you going to go? And I've actually chosen not to go super negative. I don't client shame. I don't pick issues that I know are going to be very polarizing, like raw diets. Like, you can post about it, and you will get a lot of followers, but it's going to be very volatile. And so I've just made a conscious decision to say, like, I'm going to share my truths, what I go through, and keep it more positive because I really do love what I do. And it would be fake for me to say otherwise, basically. But I think that's one thing that you kind of have to decide when you start sharing your story more is, like, which way are you going to lean and what's going to be the underlying message and intention behind your posts. I'm trying to think of that post. I suppose it wasn't a negative post. I'm trying to decide why, do, why did people love it that much. But maybe it was just the recognition of I've been there. Yeah. It's also, it, it's an unusual social media post because, again, it's usually not showy, but it's entertaining, it's light, and but that was very vulnerable. Yeah. What was your motivation for putting it out? Because I, I personally, like if I filmed something, I don't do, you, you know, my right. social media is right. not right. about me much. It's about, I'm too introvert, I think. <laughs> but but I, that's, that's a gutsy move to put that out there. What made you think, no, I think it's important that I still put this out there? One, some of my team members had also experienced, you know, the trauma. And we have recognized that 
working in emergency medicine, like we are affected just like the pet owners are by loss and by things that we experience. And so it's important to talk about those things and not just say like, oh, that's so hard for them. They went through that. Like we need to recognize that we experienced trauma too in veterinary medicine. So I felt like it was a good way to talk a little bit about that side of things and that we are here to help pet owners and help the pets, but we take on a lot because of that. And so my thought process was if one other person has felt this way, I want them to not feel alone. And I didn't expect it to have such a reach as it did. And it still occasionally starts to kind of pop up again, like with people sharing it. And so, but that's kind of the intention behind posts like that is to make people feel not alone, to feel supported, to feel seen when they could be, you know, at their hospital and their hospital never takes the time to say like, this was really hard. Like, how are you? Where are you at? What do you need? And we should be doing that for each other. And so just creating a space for them to feel like that's okay to talk about and it's okay to say. I did a podcast episode, I think probably my favorite one, the one I'm most proud of with the, the Irish, can never quite pin down what he is. He's a coach, author, speaker, um, Philip McKernan. And the topic of the podcast was self-care. What does self-care really look like? Because we talk about self-care. Right. And it went in such a different direction. And I think the takeaway was, with that was vulnerability. There's a lot of things, but it's to say, well, there's a couple of takeaways. If you haven't listened, it's a really good episode. Yeah. But he, he talks in the end about at work for veterinarians. It's not a vet, but for veterinarians being vulnerable, going, I was defensive in the episode and I said to him, yeah, but I'm a professional. Mm -hmm. I have to be professional at work. I can't go crying at work. You know, something sad happens, but then I've got to go do that puppy vaccination. Right. So you've got to stiff up a lip. And, and he said, why? I was the owner of that puppy and you came in crying. Yeah. And he said, I'm so sorry. I just went through this. I would love you. I'd say I'll never go anywhere else. Yeah, because <laughs> you care and yeah. you show that you care and you show how much it means to you. Yeah. And I think people need to know that. You're vulnerable days. at work because you're such a go-go, energetic, happy person. <laughs> I, um, I am when I need to be. I think because I've done it for so long, you get like a, a little bit more resilience, yeah. right, with yeah. things. Because um, people are, are very close. I, I try more and more when I'm at work. If I see a situation that I think, well, that's pretty shitty. I'll go to the colleague quietly and say, are you, are you okay with that? Are you? Right. And almost never does anybody, I don't know if it means anything, because they usually go, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, 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 right, right, right. And then they brush it off and you. And maybe they're really fine and I'm making too much of an issue, but. Well, I think it's a leadership thing. So if as a leader I'm vulnerable, then they feel more comfortable to be vulnerable. If I only ever ask them how they're doing, but I don't share how I'm doing, then it's been pretty well shown that like, your team is not gonna feel as comfortable sharing. So that's another reason why I'm pretty open. When I'm in the ER, I'm not gonna lie, I, I go, 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 and I push through a lot, but I have had some times where I've had to say to the next pet owner, like, I'm sorry, it took me a little bit. I had a really critical case. Like, I will be more open with them about things, and I think that does help. Have you cried at work? I have, I When have. was the last time you cried? The last time I cried? I actually cried because I had another team member really struggling and they shared something deeply personal because I said, like, you're just not yourself today. What's going yeah. on? Okay. You know, the fact that they would trust me and talk to me, like, that was a very powerful thing. 
I don't cry as much during euthanasias um, because yeah. I think that's the owner's experience. Yeah, and yeah. I don't want to add to that, but it's been more things with teams or we had someone the other day that brought in their dog and it was something that was preventable and they were just very much beating themselves up over it. And they had things they were struggling with personally. And he made me tear up quite a few times just with how he felt about the situation and wanting to help his pet. And really, maybe we couldn't help his pet. And that's the hardest. It's like when we can't fix it. Yeah. So I don't cry every shift, though. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, be tough. Yeah, yeah. Let's do wrap-up questions. Um, podcasts. Are you a listener as well as a producer? I am a listener. Uh, I kind of jump all over the place. So there's actually a fun podcast I listen to with my kids. It's a story, and it's six minutes, and it, each episode's only six minutes. So we listen to it in the car together, and that's a really great podcast uh, with your kids. What's it called? It's just called Six Minutes, oh, and six it's minutes. like a story. Yeah, and it's really interesting and fun, and there's like hundreds of episodes, so it's like a fun thing to What, to what sort of age group is it aimed at? My kids love it, and they're 7 and 11. So, do you like it though? I do. Okay. I actually That's the problem. A lot of the kids stuff are like, I can't listen. No, I like it. My daughter will listen to it on her own sometimes, and then I'll listen to it, and we'll like try to be on the same episode so we can listen to it together. So, and then there's a podcast. I'm a bubbly person, but I actually have like a deep, kind of dark side. Uh, and there's a podcast called Terrible Thanks for Asking, and it is really good. And it's a really powerful podcast. They tell really horrible traumatic stories but they do it in a way that is very relatable and very it helps you understand like people more and people's experience and i think it helps me be more empathetic like as a person i can't let go of the statement that you just casually made there i'm really bubbly but there's actually a deep dark side <laughs> deep dark side of dr crocker i think what does that look CR, like what do you mean <laughs> anyone who works cr there's like there's a little bit of darkness that's just part of it but like understanding there is a, a dark part of like our world and people and things. And I think that I don't want to shy away from that. And I want to lean into it so a little bit more. You don't live in rainbows and lollipops no, land. No, definitely not. No toxic positivity here okay. at all. And then I, I mean, I love the vet vault, obviously. I really like uh, the derm vet. If you do yeah. GP, yeah. Uh, Dr. Bourgeois does an amazing job. I listen to podcasts all the time. Dr. Andy, I love Cone of Shame. I love Uncharted, especially as a practice owner now. He talks a lot about practice ownership issues. I've written into him and he's answered my questions. So that's always fun. So there's a ton out there. And then for pet owners, I don't know if you've seen the one, What Your Vet Wants You to Know. And it's a really great podcast. And the, the pass along question I warned you about before. So yes. this is what I asked my previous guest to give us a question for the next guest, not knowing who it's going to be. So the question from my last guest was, what would the title be of the movie of your life? <laughs> I know. I was trying to think of, like, what it would be. Um, I don't know. It would be something that's, like, unpredictable, tornado, whirlwind, <laughs> craziness, my crazy life, something like that. It's a, you're the perfect person to ask it of because there's... Yeah. I can't put it It's very hard thing. because there's not a single thing, right? Yeah. It would probably just be, like, Crocker's crazy life. Because I feel Crap like, don't you feel like in our profession, you can't make up the things that happen to you? Like the things that happen are just sometimes so crazy and unbelievable. And then being a parent, it's the same way. Yeah. Like you can't predict anything. And it's just, you have to just be along for the ride. And that is what I feel like I am in life. You're along for the ride, but then you're also, we said at the beginning, you're intentional about I am intentional. I am. I, I have this, this vision. I spoke at a, at a final year student talk once. 
Because I'm trying to get those two concepts together of having a direction and a goal, but also being flexible and open and not being, if you don't reach that goal, right. that life doesn't end. At the time that I was preparing for the talk, oh, I was reading a, a blog post about SpaceX and rockets and yeah. what it involves and stuff. So I had these two concepts in my head. And I have this idea of, specifically at the start of your veteran career, it's like launching a rocket into space. It's very hard. Yes. You have friction and gravity and you've got to overcome all these forces. So, because I read in the article that like 98% of the fuel of a rocket is burnt at launch. Yes. By the time it gets out of the atmosphere, it's, it's cruising. And a rocket can't launch if it's not aiming at, a, at its destination, right? Okay. But once you're in space and you're cruising along, it's actually relatively minimal effort to change course. To go, oh, well, that planet's exploded. Let's say a long-distance space movie planet. It's not a trip just to the moon or something. Yeah. And once, you're, once you've got velocity and momentum going, to then say, well, actually, there's somewhere else I want to go. It's just a little of the thruster rockets on the side, and off you go, and, you, and that momentum carries you to the next direction. I think that sort of fits with what you say, yeah. is to have, be intentional, but be open for the opportunities. And so, yeah. well, I... Don't aim your rocket just at Smalley's practicing vet or equine vet and burn all your fuel and die trying getting there. If you need to change direction, just do it. Yeah. And to take the analogy further, if you think about it, you're in the rocket and then all of a sudden there's like a meteor shower or something in your path and you either say like, you know what, I can't change course. I'm just going to like go through it and like take all the lumps and bumps and put yourself or you say, you know what, there might be another course yeah. and it might be different than what I thought, but let me like recharge. And yeah. so I think that that's what we need to recognize and we need to adapt when we can. And I am putting it out there that I'm always open and available to talk about things. I love talking about different opportunities for people and what people really love and what they want to lean into in our profession. And so I am here and you can find me on social media <laughs> if you want to talk about it. And it's actually you responding to questions? It is, yes. I can't yeah. ask that because even if it's not, you can. Yeah. <laughs> Too controlling to not Too know. Controlling. <laughs> so you've got to give me a question for my next guest. Okay. So I want you to ask them, uh, do you have a social media account? And do you think that it's valuable as a veterinarian? Yes or no? Oh, good one. I want to see what they say. Yeah, nice. All right, the last question, you're at a, at a conference and you, and this actually happens for you, I'm sure, but you're speaking to all of the new grads, the veteran new, new grads of 2023 at the end right. of this year, and you've got a couple of minutes to give them just one little message or one little bit of advice. So I usually do tell them to be open to change, network, things like that. I think the biggest thing would be that part of your journey is figuring out who you are and what you really want. And there's nothing wrong with finding your speed in that and finding that in whatever way it works for you. So try not to look at other people and compare yourself as much. I mean, we know comparison is like the thief of joy, right? And instead collaborate, learn from one another. I think you really can get further ahead in you know, personal and professional goals the more you get to know other people and their stories and you share yours and you get feedback on it. But really it's your own pace. And so don't compare yourself to me or to other people around you. And eventually you will end up where you're supposed to be. I truly believe that for everyone in this profession. That's very good advice. Awesome. You didn't prepare me either. So that I, was like, I did it. Just off the bat again. I knew you'd be fine because you talk about this stuff all the time. That was magic. That was even better than I imagined. I appreciate you having me on. It was Thank very fun. Thank you so, so much for making the time. 
and for even delaying your schedule to talk to us. And um, thank you for what you do. It's important work. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Before you disappear, I wanted to tell you about our new weekly newsletter. I speak to so many interesting people and learn so many new things while making the podcast. So I thought I'd create a little summary each week of the stuff that stood out for me. We call it the VetVault 321 and it consists of, firstly, three clinical pearls. These are three things that I've taken away from the clinical podcast episodes. My light bulb moments, the penny dropping, any new facts and the stuff that we need to know to make all the other pieces fit. Then, two other things. These could be quotes, links, movies, books, a podcast highlight, anything that I've come across outside of clinical vetting that I think you might find interesting. And then, one thing to think about. I'll share something that I'm pondering, usually based on something that I've read or heard, but sometimes it'll be just my own musings or rants. The goal of this format is that you can spend just two to three minutes on the clinical stuff and move right along if that's all that you're after. But if you're looking for content that is more nourishing than cat videos or doom scrolling, then our two other things should send you in the right direction. And then something extra for when you feel like a slightly longer read. If you'd like to get these in your inbox each week, then subscribe by following the newsletter link in the show description wherever you're listening to this. It's free, I think it's useful, it's fun, and it's easy to unsubscribe if it's not for you. Okay, we'll see you next time.